Hello, stranger. My name is Rose Gothel. I am the writer, director, and kind of producer of this podcast, and I want to welcome all of you to The Greenlands Presents. This podcast is going to be a series of dramatic readings of fantasy scripts, screenplays, a la old radio drama style, you know, like they used to do in the 1950s on the BBC. You turn them on and be like, oh, here's a story. <laughs> we hope to do this weekly, unless something terrible happens, like, you know, Mordor invades... I mean, this is 2020, we've had a pandemic so far and very weird things are happening. The plays that we will be playing on this podcast are going to be high fantasy swords and sorcery screenplays and scripts from me and other authors. We're looking for new authors and scripts all the time, so contact us on the-greenlands.com, by hyphen I mean the little bar, not the word hyphen, or via our social media at The Greenlands, or variations of, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. The Greenlands represents a high fantasy world in general, the traditional, you know, Middle-earth, saga, D&D, medieval, dragon-filled fantasy world. For me, and for this script, it is a real place, but the Greenlands also represents all fantasy places. This week's story is The Sisters of the Middle Sun. I am a filmmaker, and the script is the first in a series of four feature films that I am hoping to be filming soon, once this disaster is over. The stories follow a group of sun-worshipping priestesses who have to handle demons and monsters that for once are not an external metaphorical representation of internal struggles. <laughs> yes, I had to get a thesaurus for that. I would like to thank our amazing actors and actresses who brought these characters to life. In no particular order, Sam Parry, Bridget Hemingway, Helen Vary, Linda Dootson, Kate Newell, David McCran, Frances Broody Albridge, and Faye Massey. And of course, not to forget, our narrator, Anne-Marie Goldthorpe. Yes, she is related to me, no, don't ask. If you want more information about the Greenlands, or want to submit a script, or want to be a voice actor, or even just drown us in gold, um, tweet at us, Instagram at us, you know, slide into our DMs. Or uh, go to our website, thehyphengreenlands.com. So let's grab our axes, bows, pointy ears, teenage angst, unresolved daddy issues, and see you in the Greenlands. The convent, the gardens, afternoon. There are three sisters of the middle sun working with their sleeves rolled up and their yellow aprons on. Their robes are dark brown with yellow sunbursts sewn on. They have head veils but no wimples. One priestess, a young novice, wears a yellow veil instead of a brown one. A priestess, late middle-aged and a bitter type, pulls primly at the weeds, aligning them all one way behind her. One priestess, also late middle-aged, round and plain, digs merrily as if born to it. The novice, a beautiful, voluptuous girl with a beatific smile and a high, breathy voice, is weeding. She's pulling out each weed one by one and laying them carefully in her trug. The digging priestess watches her for a few seconds and then stands up and puts a hand on her own back. Eh, our patience. A novice patience. If we relied on her for income other than, you know, that what which foul uncouth men desire, we'd be starved before the season's over. Sister Letiche sniffs at Blodwin and turns to the young girl, speaking in a high, prissy, white-sounding British accent. Oh, come, girl. We have no time to be spent in dalliance, being as how we are down to only one novice. Pull your veil straight, girl, and get digging. We mustn't let our standards slip. Novice Patience looks up at her with huge doe eyes and smiles. Yes, sister! She leaves her truck on the ground, picks up a spade and starts to dig where Blodwin left off. She even manages to dig sexily. I know you're mistress of novices, Letiche, 
and you're all about the setting of examples and that, but a bit of dalliancy never did no harm. Hmm. You of all people should be aware of the hills of dalliance. We are devotees to our goddess and serve her with our work. If we start dallying, then there will be no hope for the sinner. You mean no hope for us sinners? A small, preoccupied, rather wild-looking priestess with a badly disarrayed and dirty habit comes into the garden and starts talking rapidly to patients without even saying hello. There's a need for Artemisia. Hast thou picked it yet, girl? It's of utmost cosmic importance, and there'll be dire consequences if this action is not fulfilled on time. She could just ask politely. Sister Agatha whirls off with her cloak flag out behind her, and Blodwin giggles. Both women continue to weed the garden. Presently, a woman appears in the chapel door, ringing a bell, and calls. Nun's time. Sisters. A nun can miss that. She winks. Sister Letitia rolls her eyes at Blodwin. Uh, coming, Mother Euphemia. Hurry up, novice patience. You can't go to nuns like that. Get it. Get it. None would want to see that. I was treating it with the contempt it deserves. They all drop their work and file out of the garden. The convent, refectory, it is evening. The priestesses are sitting at a small table with Mother Euphemia at the head. The space to her right is empty and the space to her left contains Sister Letice. Sister Agatha sits further down and the space opposite her is also empty, but laid with knife and fork plus a white plate. There is one candle burning. Blodwin and Patience enter in great state, holding trays with silver-coloured dishes on them. They place them on the table and Blodwin removes the lids with a flourish. There are five fried eggs and five baked potatoes on the two platters. Blodwin removes the lids to a side table and she and Patience sit down in the empty spaces. The abbess says grace and the priestesses sit with bowed heads. All hail the mighty sun whose rays light us and warm us in our lives. We must thank her for her bountiful light, which assuages all our pains, illuminates our way, and appeases our hunger. Let, Let it be. be. Sister Blodwin nudging Sister Letitia, winking at Patience. Oh, you could say we're having a light meal. Patience giggles. You are very light-hearted, Sister Blodwin. There is good-natured laughter regarding Patience's remark and even Mother Euphemia smiles vaguely. People pass up their plates and Mother Euphemia fills and returns them down the table. All this silver? It would fetch a good price, you know. It was my mother's dowry to the convent. The son expects us to blaze his glory forth in silver and in gold. But there's hardly any of us left. And if we don't get to eat the proceeds, there won't be anything of us that are left. After burying four husbands, I didn't retire here just to starve. Well, it's not my fault, Mother. I'm still putting feelers out amongst the local gals, but they only seem to be interested in fashion and boys. I think a rather final straw was the deaths of poor sisters Hugold and Frist last winter. It was so strange. Oh, it's not that strange when you realise that one were 88 and the other 91, and that they both have been avid drinkers of Agatha's moonshine. I mean, I mean, no, they're a tincture. Oh, I'm surprised they weren't pickled by the end. One mustn't speak ill of the dead, Sister Bloodworth. As much as the passing of these older sisters was indeed much mourned with wailing and gnashing of teeth, it does mean we get tea and egg for lunch. 
as well as it breaking of the fast. Blodwin snorts. All of the priestesses gaze at their meagre rations and delicately cut very small slices. Oh, well, I shall have a novice drive and I shall start it tomorrow. I shall do my best to help in any way I can, Sister Letitia. Good on you, girlie. It's a shame we ain't recruiting priests. Letitia looks horrified. <coughs> um, uh, you'd definitely be of more use there. Well, I shall up me piccalilli output this year too. We'll get there in the end, you lot. Mother Euphemia beams around the table. Your passion and enthusiasm embodies the true soul of the sun. It warms us and lights the way through despair and darkness. Perhaps some of our old worshippers will return to our fold as well. Their support could be invaluable, my daughters. The convent laundry morning. Letitia is stirring the clothes in the big barrel of hot water and Mother Euphemia is scrubbing clothes in a nearby barrel. There is washing hanging from the strings nearby. Uh, Really, Mother, you don't need to wash my smalls. They say the light of the sun is a great disinfectant, my daughter. Uh, Yes, but um, now you've set yourself the writing of this treatise, I wouldn't like to expose on you work that is so beneath you. I would only be doing the accounts, and those are somewhat depressing. Besides, these things have to be finished before primes. Oh, you should leave the accounts to Blodwin. She's the refectioner. I must extend my calming hand over all of our endeavours, Letici. I must shrug myself of tendencies to shrink from labour. Is it not said that the sun shines on her followers who strive? Euphemia suddenly looks repelled and pulls out a big pair of bloomers and then, extracting a large twig of plant material from them, looks questioningly at it. Sister Agatha comes into the laundry and spots the large twig of plant held in Euphemia's hand. Ah! Thou hast discovered the whereabouts of my simples, Forb! Agatha leans over and grabs the large, ugly, dripping plant stem from Euphemia. Ah, foolish besom! Thou hast deformed it! The Alexia just isn't the same if the stem of the old man's kneecaps has been shoved through its soapy ringer. But whatever was the plant doing in your smalls, Sister Agatha? Everything has its place in the grand scheme of things, as well as you should know, Mother Euphemia. Both women watch Agatha depart, bemused. I often ask myself if that woman is a genius beyond her time, or is she somehow making a fool of us? Well, elixir is a funny thing to call cough syrup. The Priory, Church, Morning. The priestesses are in the choir stalls singing the finishing Amen. They are clad in black with cowls, headdresses and Luna Sigismondo sprinkled around their habits. The peasant congregation are standing with their caps in hand, shuffling their feet and looking tired and bored. The prioress, a large, fat, red-faced woman, raises her hands and intones, May the moon shine on your heads and in your hearts and illuminate your way to salvation, my children. (laughs) The congregation turn and flee with indecent haste while separately calling back, So be it. The prioress discreetly coughs and flaps her hand in front of her nose. She turns and urgently mutters to the young priestess handling the censer next to her. (laughs) More incense, girl. As the peasantry scramble out with relief, 
sub-prioress sanctimony, a small, weaselly, cunning-looking woman is examining the contents of the offering plates at the back of the nave. She looks disgusted with the paltry nature of the offerings, which comprise small coins and the odd barter, dead chicken, cauliflower, etc. Sister Bluster, a large, heavily built, unsmiling woman with a cauliflower ear and several facial scars, is ushering, herding, the congregation out of the nave, also rather unceremoniously. She ejects one very old man who is walking on two sticks by knocking out his sticks from under him so that he falls outwards and slams the door behind him, leaning on the back of them. Oh, they get more depressing every week. Thank the moon, it's over. Sister Sanctimony starts emptying the plates of offerings into a small bag and Sister Bluster walks up the aisle and starts snuffing candles. Well, you did insist on a full month's worth of sackcloth and ashes, milady, with total abstinence from washing. But the period of wailing is always applied in the second moon's third quarter. Our congregation must be made to feel the absence of their full moon god. Perhaps your insistence upon full observance was a bit severe, my lady. Ah, but... That period of abstinence from washing should save at, at least ten groats on soap and ablution materials that should have increased their disposable income, which would have in turn come to the priory via tithe. Oh, the only severity was the effect on my nostrils. You, go, check my capon and wine are ready. She starts to disrobe and strides out into the vestry, followed by three choir girls. Priory, Abbess's study, evening. The prioress is sitting in her armchair near a good fire, and a young, nervous, bespectacled priestess is standing with a hot poker in her hands. This priestess plunges the poker into two tankards of wine, standing down on the hearth. There is a hissing. The prioress speaks imperiously, arrogantly and pompously. I hope you spice that wine well, Sister Mavis. Certainly, prioress Papule. Yes, well, when you've done that, you can get back on with the research of those, those things that you're always reading. They are the secret tomes of the dark arts of the moon, prioress Papule. It is a lost art that our sisters once used to have mastery. Oh, yes, yes, whatever. There is a knock at the door. Come. The door opens and it is a sub-prioress, Sister Sanctimony. She enters sycophantically with a strong, affected, pious expression. She slimes up to sit in the other armchair. Sit. Your wine's there, Sanctimony. Now. What are we going to do about the small revenues... It seems this month's revenue scheme did not bring in the rewards one hoped it might. I suppose one can only squeeze a peasant so far. Indeed, my lady. I do apologise for this small error of judgment in my anticipated figures. I have discovered, however, an arresting fact that my lady might be interested in. These figures do tell me that our worship attendance is better than that of the Sisters of the Sun. Apparently, instead of tending to their worshippers, they engage in trading for lucre. 
such greedy women. No wonder their worshippers have abandoned them. <laughs> Perhaps these priestesses can pay us some of their revenue, then. Uh, well, uh, now you say it, Prioress Papule, uh, I have been looking at some of our old maps, and in my own poor opinion, it does seem to me that their convent lies upon our land. Indeed. How interesting. Did they expect us not to notice? She bangs her wine glass down and the wine slops out. Good heavens! They have been using us most cruelly. We must ask for recompense for our pastime suffering. She slowly narrows her eyes and smiles. Financial recompense. Perhaps... If we sent Sister Bluster along, I mean with her uh, persuasive skills... Oh, that will not work. You see, Sister Bluster may have been the butcher of Burgoyne oh, and destroyer of cities, but she would never hurt another woman. It was part of her code, a code of solidarity of sisters. Indeed, but... I doubt the Sisters of the Sun know that. I am, of course, not asking Sister Bluster to go against our vows of pacifism and hurt the Priestesses of the Sun. I would never suggest such a transgression, my lady. But... The Prioress smiles smugly and rings a bell. <coughs> Sister Mavis emerges from the gloom. Mavis bows. My lady... Fetch me, Sister Bluster. The convent, Abbess's study, morning. The Abbess's study has plain, uneven walls, but a small bookshelf of old, leather-bound books. It has a ticking clock and is very bare with no curtains. Euphemia is sitting behind her large old desk and looking blankly at a large parchment on her desk and tapping her quill in counter-time to the clock ticking. We hear running feet approaching the room. Then there's a sort of scuffle and crash, and then silence. Then there's a knock at the door, and Letitia and Blodwin enter, without permission, looking a bit winded. They come up to the desk and try to read the parchment upside down. What you got there, Mother? It looks very serious. All signed and illuminated, with girly cues and whatnot. Letitia peers at the subscription, and Blodwin sticks her short-sighted nose down onto it. Oh, no! It's those wretched sisters of the mood. It's their seal at the bottom. This is a matter of grave importance, sisters. Please take a seat. As the two most senior members of our staff, I need your advice. Blodwin and Letitia both carefully sit. I have received this letter from the Sisters of the Moon a week and a half ago, and I haven't told you as I didn't want to worry you. I have now decided that we must work together, however, on this problem. Basically, it's that the Moon Sisterhood have discovered on their record that when our sanctuary was built, it was built on their land. Oh dear. Indeed. They say they would like financial recompense for our mistreatment of them. That is back rent, since we are now a profitable organisation with our own market produce, they say. Letitia puts her hand on her chest and looks horrified. Son's mercy. How far back are they demanding it from? 
They can't really well do this. We'll we'll appeal to the primate. It were given as a gift by one of their own prioresses all those years ago. It were understanding, because we were both for the same cause of worshipping gods at Six Sky. They can't just change their mind just like that. Euphemia stands up and ushers them out gently. As Sister Bluster is arriving with the proofs tomorrow and collecting the first payment, Bloodwin, can you see to her meals, please? And, and Letici, can you sort out a room for her, please? Just because the sun is hidden by clouds, it does not mean that she is not there, my daughters. Let us rise to the test. She gives a martyred half-smile and makes the sign of the sun. Her forefinger traces her face around and then the two hands come up flat-palmed at 90 degrees and are then pushed out four inches. Blodwin and Letice respond with the sign and go out, Blodwin rolling up her sleeves and muttering. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sisters in the Middle Sun from the Greenlands Presents. I hope you enjoyed it. If you drop us a like, a subscribe or review on iTunes or, you know, whatever you're listening to us on, I don't know what you use, or recommend us to a friend who needs a laugh, please do. We're just starting out and every little thing helps. If you want to get involved in the creative side of things as a scriptwriter, actor, etc., please contact us. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to donate huge amounts of gold, just, you know, just slide into my DMs and I'll be open to hear from you. <laughs> I'd like to thank our editor, John Curtiland, and our musician, David Berlin, for making the ambiance and, you know, editing this whole disaster. We will have another episode out next week, so see you then. Thank you. Look after yourself. I love you. Yes, you. Only you. Ignore the other one's baby. They didn't mean anything to me. You're the only one. Oh, wait, sorry, I was reading my text messages. <laughs> Bye.